My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. Today's conversation with Mike Cannon has added something new to my bucket list. When New York finally catches up with California, uh, I really kind of want to do edibles with this guy. In this episode, comedian Mike Cannon and I discuss how to turn crap into comedy and why comedians and shrinks probably lead the world in cray-cray and self-esteem issues. Outside of the uh, whole zombie apocalypse, murder hornets, world that we live in now. Mike is a frequent flyer at the New York Comedy Club and the Cellar Club and tours the country with making people laugh. Mike is the current co-host of the Irish Goodbye podcast and really, really fucking funny. Uh, you should stalk him like I did. Uh, where can you find him? You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at I am Mike Cannon. And I am not re-recording that because I am almost 43 and goddammit Snapchat should not be a part of my vocabulary. Have a listen, follow him, and thanks again, Mike. It was a great time laughing with you and much needed in a pandemic. I have terrible eyesight. I've been meaning this entire time to go to an eye doctor and we have one in the family and I still haven't done it. Can you make them come to you? She's coming over today, but not with her equipment. Well, maybe you should call. I know, I should. Mike, thank you so much. I should have told you that was on the show. I press record. (laughs) I press record and I don't edit. So, I mean, I can, but no. No. Well, you know, it's very secretive, my, uh, <laughs> my, my eye issues. I, I know. Well, I did say, is there anything off the record? And you forgot to say eye issues. So um, I am here with Mike Cannon, who is a fantastic comedian. I know because I've stalked him profusely. Um, and um, basically, this idea came from, as I explained to Mike, uh, re- watching old um, stand-up comedy shows and listening to people bitch about how crazy everything was and now (laughs) yeah and now um so um and i'm excited and mike has a podcast and it's very good and it's very funny and you have to like drugs or remember liking drugs and i'm that's true i'm cool with that too one of my teenage patients accidentally told me how to make pot brownies the correct way and so um I've been saying for a while, if my birthday comes and we're still in this, we're making pot brownies and watching my nine-year-old's Zoom performance like that fell apart during the pandemic. Yes. It's, it's, I'll send it to you. It's high worthy. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. So, so what they good. teach it, they taught you how to spread it out in the oil and then cook it for a couple hours yeah. and then seep it and all that stuff. Something about, also something about a, a, an oven. I'm supposed to heat it in an oven first. Sure. Oh, there, there's definitely different techniques to do it. Depends how, how, uh, how much you want it to taste like an actual brownie and how much you don't want mind weed taste. Uh, Probably the former, but I also yeah. have to find some way to distinguish these from other brownies because of nine and eleven. Although yes. we, um, my daughter knows how to order my drink. Like when we go out, when we used to go out, like my daughter knows uh, Dory vodka martini for daddy and uh, Manhattan bourbon for mommy. So. Uh, no, Manhattan rye whiskey for mommies. It's really sad. Those were two of my favorite drinks when I was drinking. Really? I know you're yeah. not drinking now. I'm impressed. I know. I don't know how I'm doing it during this time. I mean, I'm smoking a fair amount of pot, so I'm certainly no angel. But uh, yeah, it's in terms of medicating and wanting to relieve stress momentarily, alcohol was my go-to, and now it's not. 
Yeah, I, I keep saying like I want to take a break, and I I even went to public to put it on my Facebook page that I was going to take a thirty day break. On like day three, I was like, I'm in, and then yeah. <laughs> and then I've just gotten like radio silence. Like, yeah. Well, that's um, the trick of stopping is that by day three, you're like, I am feeling great, great yeah. enough to drink. <laughs> and then you well, just drink again. Also, like, I just don't see any, like, I think we all got in the habit of it, you know? Yeah. Um, it was just a weird thing. I also don't leave my house, so <laughs> <laughs> it's a little weird. Um, but, um, but yes, so I've been stalking you. I have a lot of things to say. First of all, I need to know about your cats. Cool. Oh, uh, both. So I have two cats. Um, they're actually, right now I'm staying with my uh, in-laws. No shit. So throughout the entire process of quarantine, you know, the shutdown started, or at least comedy clubs closed on March 15th. By about March yeah. 19th nine, uh, or 20th, we all saw the writing on the wall that the city was going to go into lockdown, that everything was going to pretty much shut down. Myself and my wife, we were living at the time with our eight-month-old you know, boy in a two bedroom in Brooklyn and just realized that that wasn't enough space to keep us sane. So we broke our lease. We all said there was a whole moving process, all this crap, but oh, we ended you, up- Oh, you like legit broke your lease? Yeah, because we were going to move to Jackson Heights before everything broke apart. And we luckily, I say this now, but I was heartbroken at the time, <laughs> but we luckily missed out on the opportunity to get the apartment. Somebody had just slid in right before us. And uh, which is great because we would have been out 10,000 on relocation fees with no earning power. <laughs> you know, on yeah. the horizon. I and know. so so instead of going there, we came up to uh, Rockland County with our in-laws, with my wife's family. We both grew up like pretty much in this exact 100 yard I area. know, you've, you've known your wife forever. By the way, I 100% knew you were at someone's parents' house. Right, by the Gustav Klimt painting behind me. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I mean, I my eyes just adjusted to the boob, but my, um, my dad recently sent, my parents were moving and my dad was sending old pictures like, cute pictures or whatever when we were younger and then yeah. see a picture of him with a stripper for his 35th birthday so <laughs> i'm like used to weird shit and in our yeah. dining room we actually have three naked women or Hell like yeah. some sort of a great shit like again it's a fancy pants painting with yeah. those so well, that's um, pretty exciting um less so for me probably but uh <laughs> but yes that couch and that painting totally say in-laws Yes, absolutely. And Italian. There's like a grand piano over here and a six foot knight over here. This entire town or this entire room looks like like Liberace's underwear. That's but, um, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. There's probably wasn't a boob in Liberace's underwear ever. That's true. Yeah. The, replace that with a penis and I think we got the There we got, we the room. got it. Um, <laughs> does your oh, wife she does. She owns her own floral design company. Oh, so sorry. they do. Yeah. They design large events like weddings and <laughs> uh, and corporates and stuff like that. So of but, course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the you know both of us our livelihoods require congregation. So how uh, how good has this been for us? I know. Um, <laughs> I interrupted you. You wanted to talk more about the boob. Oh, I was no. I was just gonna say. So we brought our son and our cats are up here. But my wife's mother has six cats. And they're all outdoor. Our cats are city indoor. So they're staying in the cabana, which is like a separate little building <laughs> to their house. They basically have their own apartment. They have the most space out of anybody in this place. And it's, it's uh, both depressing and nice to know that they're living that well. Do you visit them? Of course, yeah. We bring, our, we bring our son in there every day. The one cat, Lenny, we named them George and Lenny after of Mice and Men. Okay. And we did that before we got to know their character. <laughs> And they both started living exactly like the characters. George is a conniving jerk off piece of shit that is always, it seems as if he's whispering in Lenny's ear to try to get him to do shit. And Lenny is like this big, dumb, cross-eyed oaf that, you know, pets things too hard and then they die. Yeah. Um, that sounds like my son. Um, how old is your son now? Has he had his first birthday yet? He did, yeah. He had his first birthday uh, on the 24th of uh, July. What a big celebration that must have been. It, uh, it's so weird because, you know, everything opened up, right? Or, or at least we were entering phase four and, and we got ahead of ourselves and got so excited. And we like sent out an invitation like, ah, I think we'll be able to do a social distancing backyard party. And then, you know, it took us three hours that it dawned on us that we're still in the midst of a pandemic. And, you know, it's, it's just a nightmare. We're not going to be able to, to do what we I want am very with proud our son's of you. first birthday. 
I'm very proud of you because I want to kill so many people these days. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, sometimes I start getting myself involved in those masks are against our constitutional rights things. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, nah, I went to Georgetown. I feel like I've hooked up with enough politicians, you know, <laughs> uh, and lawyers to, to that some of this information has gotten to me. You yes. know, like the con- I'm, I think, think that the constitution has been transmitted through. Through sex. Yes. Um, that I'm like, yeah. The way I deal with that, I've like I've done comedy. Like I don't know if you saw my Frank Rigatone thing, but it's a I I did so I've done two sketches that have basically foretold the future during this pandemic, which is weird. I did an entire Ellen DeGeneres uh, quarantine thing, which basically just started with me making fun of her, I feel like I'm in prison joke or whatever. And then I inhabited the Ellen rumors that she's an Illuminati lizard and feeds off the blood of the innocent and all that stuff. And I was joking about what a tyrant she was, even being a fan. And it turns out that's kind of true. Wait, but can we get back to the Illuminati thing? Because my sister-in-law told me this this weekend at like a family barbecue. And Mm -hmm. I was very confused and but with all seriousness she told me this and i that was the very, illuminati exists okay listen georgetown secret societies whatever like sure. illuminati is like one step away skull and bones yeah got it but like my um my issue is they're they're killing millions of babies and taking their bloods and putting it into people's brains hillary clinton yes. uh j-lo uh-huh. Um, uh, Obviously, Tom Hanks. He's been implicated and on the uh, Lolita Express as of late. Right. Um, and that there's millions of bodies buried. And I asked her, "It's like, where the fuck are they buried?" And she goes, "Um, uh, uh, Manhattan." I was like, "Where?" You know, like, <laughs> give me, like, I, I understand, but I feel like we would notice if they suddenly dug up Central Park. You know, like, yeah. For sure. Well, it it may be the one thing that's used <laughs> that's used to prop lower Manhattan above sea level. Oh. Maybe all those bodies are used as sort of, you know, foundation. Yes. I used to live in the East Village before, right before it was cool. So uh nice. like, right when it, when heroin was was the yeah, thing like to do. Yeah. Sixth Street and A in the um uh like uh, um well two thousand I actually moved to town three days before uh, September 11th so no kidding yeah. oh wow uh-huh and then um my welcome first... to the city yeah and then my but I moved from DC to here sure and so <laughs> I was like well we're all gonna fucking die and mm-hmm. and that was before I knew we were all gonna fucking die but um but yes um and then my like second or third day of graduate school was September 11th and like they're like well you guys go see if those undergrads are doing okay and I'm like <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, first of all, George Bush is president. Like fucking should have had McCain. You know, like I was just like yeah. I'm I don't even know. I don't even what? You know, like um It does seem odd that like two of the more and you know, no matter how you sway politically, it's like no two of the worst spoken presidents in recent history, George Bush and Donald Trump, have both had to deal with national national hardship on a grand scale so yeah. 9-11 came and honestly george bush's first pitch during that yankee was, was at the <laughs> world series i mean that like still even my, my dislike for the guy uh, that still brought out so much nationalism and and just patriotic pride and like ah, like i'll still watch it and get goosebumps right but it's just so bizarre to know that you know that poor dude who didn't really even want to be president was just jammed into 9-11. Yeah, and I don't think Donald Trump really wanted to be president. Like, I know he didn't because he didn't know what a president was. He, he, right. Like, <laughs> I, I think he's sort of channeling, like, Henry VIII's love, sovereignty, where he decided that, that you know, that God chose the king directly so I can keep killing and right. more women. Um, and then, like, a dictatorship i don't think anyone like I, my guess is putin was like oh let me explain to you what a president does and that's <laughs> well i think now at this point he needs it the presidency is his offensive line it protects him from prison so i think he's going to try to ride out as many terms as humanly possible just so he doesn't die in jail i think he's gonna handcuff himself to a desk 
<laughs> like that is what I see coming and that's what everyone sees coming. Um, you know, um, I don't know if he needs to, he has enough New Jersey gym owners that are opening their gyms despite the governor's ordinance to, uh, you know, protect the walls of the white house. Oh, I, I, you know, I was so disappointed. I was excited. I thought someone finally was going to make an assassination attempt. And then it was, <laughs> and then it was just like, I don't even know what it was. I never got an answer, but apparently it had nothing to do with Trump. Like, yeah, um, no, it's just something outside. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, what bothers me also, your podcast has perfect sound. My podcast has decent sound. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is running Trevor Noah's podcast? And why is, I don't know if you've listened, but like, Seth Meyers is better, but mm-hmm. like Trevor Noah's sound sucks. I can't figure it out. Like, is, is that the podcast or for the Daily Show itself? Daily Show itself. I'm sorry. Yeah, because I've been like, I've been flummoxed. The same as you, like in terms of like watching how the Tonight Show was broadcasting all these shows. It's like nobody is Amazoning a fucking Bluetooth wireless love to give these people that records audio separately. And then in post-production, you can sync it up. You guys are owned by the biggest corporations in the, in the world. Like, how are you not figuring this out? And now, you know, Jimmy Fallon is whatever he is, but now he's like in the studio by himself, dressed casually, like on his heels, delivering monologue jokes as if (laughs) we should be grateful that he's there. It's like, dude, you're making 20 million a year at the very least put some oomph into a goddamn joke. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, I, so I'm all, I'm all about the audio because of my obsessive compulsive, you know, two and a half hour morning workouts, totally mm. negated by my whiskey consumption. It's fine. It all evens out. Um, but uh, like, um, but like, come on, like, uh, look, here's a pillow. Just stick it there. Like, it'll work, you know. <laughs> I don't understand. And mind you, my first three podcast episodes were recorded using a cell phone on Anchor. So I have grown up a bit, but like, I don't understand why we can't, why we all get, you know what it is? We were much better prepared for this. This is one of these things where podcasters are like the, um, what are they called? Like the preppers. Thank you. Yes. It's like the underground bunker preppers. Like we were cool. But yeah. I didn't even have equipment. I just adapted quickly because okay. I realized that Zoom is like, it's an imperfect device. It's going to come in like, you know, it cuts you off if, yeah. you're, if you're over speaking on each other. So the only way to thwart that is to go through an interface into your computer. And we actually sep- we record for Irish Goodbye, or at least we did before we're now back in studio. We were recording on separate tracks through our interface so then our producer would go back and dub it over the dub it over so it was a lot more post-production work but it was worth it because people were like i'm listening to basically a cell phone like a nokia conversation between two (laughs) people and it's like i don't care how big of a star these these people are you can't hear it when they're being cut off every three syllables it's so painful and then when even uh when seth myers has like you know uh I'm going to say Kamala Harris, obviously, because it's fresh in my brain, but like all of these, you know, um, uh, she's had a lot of minority female government people were, you know, senators, whatever. Yep. Stop. Anyways, um, their call-ins are awful too. Yeah. Okay. You should give him a call. Tell him how to do it. Yeah. I I know you got his number and speed dial. Um, uh yes so you're surviving through weed i'm surviving through whiskey it's fine mm-hmm. i guess your son's not old enough to call you out on smoking no and it's not i i'm i've been good in terms of doing the all day thing like every once in a while by about 3 p.m when he goes down for his afternoon nap which then leads into his final stint awake for the day i'll uh, i'll take a few puffs or whatever but yeah he obviously the smell doesn't register to him at all and also i'm not i'm a very functional pot person so i don't i don't smoke and lay down and that's my day i smoke and then do things yeah i'm not a functional pot person mm-hmm. um i'm like uh silent for six hours and then comes up with the most random shit ever <laughs> there's merit to that as well for sure i agree i agree i mean for creativity obviously i should use pot and also um it would make it a lot nicer to hang out with my children. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I had a, in my first special before I had, or first album, I should say, before I had a kid, I would, I talked about how being high around children should actually be like 
a rule because I I'm I've just existed on their exact like plane of consciousness where we were totally vibing we all had wonder (laughs) you know it was just a beautiful moment yeah I think I'd be a lot more into learning about this whole Pokemon shit if I were high like because right now I'm like I don't I don't I don't please don't please don't please don't talk about it with me like I just I don't want to hear it I don't want to watch it like um for a little while we put a pause to that and we were really into the flash and he was like constantly watching the flash Mm -hmm. um and i finally understand what a metaverse is which is cool because we're living in a metaverse right now truly um but um but yeah i just it's very weird by the way i think um just to stalk you you mentioned a zombie apocalypse Yes. Five years ago. I did. <laughs> I know. I have it in my notes five years ago. Um, like the zombie apocalypse, the moral dilemma of like, who do you keep alive? And, you know, mm-hmm. um, who do you kill? Um, you know, and oh, by the way, now you take this back, but you said you'd gladly shoot my baby in the face. <laughs> I would. If my, <laughs> if my son, even at one year old, like, listen, I'd shed a tear, of course, but I'd shed the tear when he transitioned into zombie. Me putting the bullet in his head would actually be a saving moment. Like that would, that would be, all right, let's, let's get this over with. He's already dead. Yeah. Do you think your wife would agree with you on that? <laughs> I'm curious, actually. I'm sure she'd try to breastfeed him and he'd gnaw off her left hit or something yeah, like that. But, yeah, I yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, um, I always say that um, I'm, I freeze. Like, so if the zombie apocalypse were to come, like, leave me, push me, and you will have a little, like, just mm-hmm. leave me. I'll be frozen in shock and you guys can get away. Um, and it's not like love, and I, I love them, but it's not like a sacrifice. It's like, my ass is never going to run past them, you know? <laughs> like, I'm just going to forget how to move, so. Right. It does depend, though, like I said in the bit, it depends on the motion of the zombie, because as we've seen in several different movies, there's either the slow thriller-type zombie, or there's that 28 days later, full sprint for days zombie that you can't escape. Yeah, that's why I stopped watching... Um, the walking dead because they were so fucking slow and i could not i was like i can't like i can't i could outwalk them you know like i could speed walk them my grandmother could be like no Um, yeah i feel like that would be almost like a what is it called the smash room that's like a human smash room if you could somehow be placed into an arena with like five slow moving zombies and you got (laughs) to just take their life i feel like that would maybe help a bunch of people exercise some deep-seated rage that's like the axes, like the axe things in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The axe thing, or they have those rooms where you take a bat and they have like all this, you know, yeah. shitty furniture and you just smash the bat and you're like, <gasps> you start crying about your dad. Yeah, that's not good though. We're basically no, okay. teaching people to turn sadness into anger. <laughs> oh, the, oh no. Really yeah. There was a, a famous experiment years ago where they had this creepy as fuck Bobo doll. And it's like, it's a, it's like a clown, but it's like weighted at the bottom. So when you push it over, it comes back up mm-hmm. and adults would model aggressive behavior in front of kids and then leave the room. And then when the kids got the opportunity to play with them, they, you know, model the same aggressive behavior. Wow. Uh, that makes sense. That it makes does. sense for why I am me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not. I'm much more verbally aggressive than physically aggressive. Also, girl, and no one ever taught me not to punch or run like a girl. So, <laughs> um, so. I, I have I have a little bit of both. Like, I mean, there was definitely violence in my house, and I got hit as a kid. But you know, not like not after school special where I had yeah. to cover a black eye with with my mother's makeup but you know enough to where it definitely has left an impact and has also steered my parenting into the exact opposite approach sure but but verbally I can get after it obviously I'm a comedian and and cutting and can you know articulate myself pretty well and the angrier I get I seemingly get a little more like precise and hurtful which is effective Mm-hmm. Not in your marriage, please. But yes, totally. right. No, totally not. No, um, she. I feel like she's known you for long enough not to put up with that shit. She's a hundred percent, and not to mention, both of us have. You know, we've had our bouts. Obviously, we've known each other through several phases of our lives. So I've I've been an immature. You know 
lash out at people type guy. And now I'm, I feel like I'm a little more centered and at least self-aware. So that kind of thing is not a part of my arsenal anymore. I don't, I don't dig in, into it and try to like take it out on her. Instead, I try to focus that all to the stage as much as possible. And Which podcasting certainly helps. Right. It does. Um, I, turning 40 helped for me. Oh, I really? Just, yeah. I just, someone told me you're going to love 40 and I was all freaking out and, uh, they're right. I, I just ran out of fucks and also yeah. like, I'm not afraid to fail because I failed a lot. Like, what does it matter? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and also the only bad thing is I still want, I still want my husband to find me hot, but it's, cool it's also cool to use my brain so if i could put my brain in 21 year old Lindsay's body we'd, yes. we'd probably be president right now I, I think of that all the time because I, I think of it in terms of sports because when i i had like i don't know how to say it wasn't the yips do you know what the yips are it's when it's when an athlete like gets so into their head yes. that they're okay. no longer capable of normal functionality. So Chuck Knobloch, famous second baseman from the New York Yankees, helped win them World Series, all this stuff. Out of nowhere, he had a mental glitch where okay. he could no longer throw to first base from second base. Like wow. he just like couldn't do it and would just throw over the first baseman's head. And it basically ended his career. But when I was in high school and even a little bit into college, I had anxiety and I didn't know what it was. And my parents were Irish Catholic, so there's no treating that. It was just, you know, me mentally suffering and it, it projected itself athletically. So I would get nervous before certain games. And obviously- What did you like, play? I was a basketball player for two years in college as well. But I played, um, it's weird that you're catching me today because my the best coach I ever had in my entire life actually passed away this morning. I knew oh. there was going to be a bad thing. I started to smile and then I heard it and I was like, motherfucker, don't smile. I like the shrink in me was like, ding, 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 ding. You're walking into a trap. Um, I'm really sorry. It's no, it's okay. He, he had a, he had a long battle with ALS. So I'm, I'm glad that he's gotten, you know, a bit of a reprieve from that, obviously, but he was my Gaelic football coach, which is an Irish sport. And we actually went over to Ireland for it. It wow. was, it was, he's the greatest coach slash mentor I ever had. And um, that for whatever reason, like I never, I never attached stakes to that sport, so I always played free. When I played basketball, it was such a love of my life, and it was so important to me that I think sometimes the stakes I put on it became overwhelming for myself. Interesting. Um, bizarrely, um, I was talking with someone about Gaelic football last night. Oh, wow. And I, I never heard of it, and I almost like, like I have to prove it. And so on my phone, um, uh, he sent me a video of Gaelic football for me to for me to watch. Oh, that's awesome! Isn't that super weird? That's so bizarre. Yes, yeah, synchronicity. Know. So I have exactly. It's my favorite. Um, I'm a huge believer in synchronicity and in weirdness and things um, working out. Except for me this. too. Yeah, hallucinogens have uh, have really shaped the type of open-minded individual I am right yes. now. Yes. Um, I, what's shaped me is, so wait, so you never sought out therapy or meds? I did. Yeah. I, I, I was in therapy for a couple of years actually. And it was extremely beneficial, especially because my wife and I, we were dating at the time, but I had, I had anger issues. Like, and I was sure. regressing back to teenage shit. Like I was punching through wind, uh, through doors and stuff like really, just beyond me type stuff when I was 27 or 28. And so after a particular episode of my anger flaring up, I immediately texted a therapist and we had a great relationship up until at the very end where I was doing okay in comedy, but I hadn't quite made the jump that I thought I was ready to make. And it took a little longer and we were just having like clashing appointments together because he basically told me to quit and seek other work. And I was just not, I wasn't having that. It wasn't enough. You want to hear a fantastic story that I learned. Um, I did like a postdoc work where it's like Freudian. It's not Freud, but it's like Freudian and like the couch. The I had to have 500 hours of four times a week therapy on the Upper wow. West Side. Yeah. I now realize that I could have bought the brownstone with the money I spent. <laughs> um, and I'm like one class away from finishing because, yeah. you know, I got knocked up purposely, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Um 
so I don't even have the stupid ass certificate after my name, but, um, uh, that's like me and my bachelor's degree. Really? Actually, yeah. I thought I graduated. They sent me home with a tassel, all that stuff. And then a year later, they sent me a letter saying I didn't graduate. I'm three credits short. And the one class I'm missing is public speaking. That's awesome. Yeah. And I am a public speaker for a living. You should see if you can get like them to like during the pandemic. If you could, not that it makes a fucking difference, but just I like did. And they oh, said no. You? And they said no. <laughs> I offered to pay for the credit too. And I showed them what I've accomplished. And I said I would rep the school, like all this stuff. <laughs> they said they said no. And I was like, well, fuck you. I'm never giving you a cent. And I will trash Geneseo State University. I knew it was Geneseo. Any, I was thinking yeah. about that. Yeah. I knew it was Geneseo because you said I stopped. I do prep work. Um, mm. I was going to say Geneseo and impress you. But then I figured you're going to start freaking out when I. <laughs> Not at all. Um, uh, yeah. But the one, one of the things that, one of my supervisors once told me, um, cause like this job is a tough job and you're yours is as well. Okay. It's mm -hmm. similar because like, we're constantly trying to affect people and then feeling shitty when we don't. And the truth right. is it's a learning process. And there's literally just, they throw you like the first time I saw a patient who was telling me they were depressed. I like looked for this like red foam that they have like in the old days of training mm -hmm. and like thought to, obviously there was like to be like can someone tell me what to do with this bitch and like and then my next thought was like you should really see someone and then you know fortunately mouth <laughs> closed before this came out but um <laughs> but so i was like feeling all like self haiti and stuff and yeah. um, my supervisor told me this great story that one of her earlier supervisors had been working with someone who was failing at their career or not succeeding as quickly as they wanted to and the supervisor told um like you know that the psychologist told this then patient you know maybe you should quit and find something else to do mm -hmm. um and he did not and this was um rodney dangerfield wow i know that's unbelievable right that, like, well, maybe i should change my name uh maybe or like maybe there's something about the fact that shrinks fuck up you know like we yeah uh especially because we were taught the whole this whole thing is based on this very incestual you know fucked up like rigid like well you're in denial right you know? um I don't even necessarily disagree with his synopsis at the time. I just wanted him to abide by my rule of that's not an option. Right. So, you know, stop suggesting it to me. When you suggest it to me, it makes it just it just it brings everything backwards. Like it doesn't it doesn't it's help. Move one the more needle. person not believing in you. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And it, because, you know, comedy is hard, especially in the early stages where, you know, you're not being paid. I was like I got. I got paid early and started to get TV work really early. And then I went full time and it all went away. It like every bit of TV. I, I was, you know, an MTV. How darling. come I couldn't find you on TV? I stopped. I, I stopped. I know. Well, it's because it's all like old MTV stuff, which I don't know if they even keep in their catalog. They certainly don't put that stuff like, you know, it, it would behoove them to put all their old shit on YouTube, but none of these companies think that way. Uh, instead, they all just, you know, hoard it and for it to never be released under right. the guise of we're, we're saving ourselves money somehow. Whatever. But uh, yeah, I, w I was on like several MTV shows. I used to host this uh, web series for Cosmopolitan magazine called Sexy versus Skanky, which was ridiculous. When did you do that? Certainly before the Me Too movement, that's for yeah, sure. I know, but I'm curious when, because <laughs> um, in 2014, I won the first ever uh, Cosmopolitan Fiction Contest. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was also the last. I think I broke it. Um, I think that I, is when I did it. And I won it without any, um, uh, any um, blowjobs. Like, nice. My story didn't have any blowjobs in it, so that was proud of. Um, that's a Cosmo first. Who, exactly. Uh, who... <laughs> I met two awesome, uh, Angela Ledgerwood. Do you remember okay. her? Really hot Australian, possibly. Oh, that's funny because Lindsay Rodriguez was my, was my co-host and she was a really hot Australian. So maybe that was their They're thing. They're all really hot, I think. Um, yeah. And then I can't remember the other woman, but um, uh, they never ran it again. But it got me an agent, so. Nice. Hell yeah. Mine, um, mine did not. <laughs> um, skanky or sexy, that's amazing. Yeah.
I was the injected male buffoon opinion, of course, and most of what I would say would you'd see me gearing up for a point and then they'd cut to the next <laughs> segment. <laughs> That's pretty awesome though. Yeah. But I had all that success and I, you know, things were like kind of moving in a direction where I thought there well, certainly it only goes up and continues and and whatever, but it all went away and it was just a great lesson in show business where it's like, nope, you got to build your foundation, motherfucker, because at the time I wasn't that great of a stand-up. I was an okay at best. And because of that, if if I had continued, I would have toured and I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have developed. I would have then catered to whoever my audience was and probably became a substandard comedian in terms of what I view comedy Yeah, you don't hold anything back, which is fantastic. Right, yeah. Whereas now, you know, because of that, because I've been in the mud for the last however many years, six, seven years after that, it's like, oh, I feel, I feel prepared. I could host the Oscars tomorrow. I feel completely prepared to do anything. Especially because there would be no one in the audience. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's fun to piss people off. Right. I know, I know that any joke that I would have to say would, uh, would just not be, you know, they, none of them have a sense of humor about themselves. So that's, that makes it even more fun. Yeah. Um, it's funny. So I, um, uh, psychology is a lot easier than writing. And I feel passionate about both of them. And now I know that I love podcasting because um, it's my opportunity to speak like my voice that was silenced when I was younger by yes. you know, all sorts of fucked up shit. And so, um, uh, but writing is really tough, obviously. And um, so is comedy. Um, but so like, I, I went to Georgetown and um, so did Nick Kroll, Mike Birbiglia, mm-hmm. Jacqueline Novak. Uh, John Mulaney. Uh, did he? Yeah, he went to Georgetown. I forget that. I don't know. I, th- what I think I think Nick Kroll may have went. Did he go to Georgetown or did he go to NYU? No, Nick Kroll went to Georgetown. He was a year. Oh younger. wow. Oh, um, yeah. he was a year younger. Mike was either my age or a year older. Um, and then um, uh, there's a girl named Allison who's I'm blanking on her last name, but um, but like a lot of these people, and like a part of me is like. That was a lot of fucking money to, you know, like it's a yeah. good thing it worked out for you. Like, way to go. Um, That's but- totally, I mean, the fact that you got a career that relies on education must be such a like kind of nice payoff to, you went through it, you did it, you spent the money, and now your career is in that field. I look back at college as like, well, that was fun. And I guess I kind of found my way, but I spent a lot of money to figure out that I wanted to talk about my dick on a, right, you know, on a platform somewhere. Right. My mom still doesn't know if I'm a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, uh-huh. I've been doing this for 15 years. Uh, and um, the reason I became a psych major was because this uh, professor that I really admired, but was really kind of a dick great teacher still teaching there um but i went in during his office hours and basically like i wanted someone to believe in me and be like yeah and i was like kicking ass in this class because it was psychology and i was working my butt off and he like looks also before the me too movement like mm-hmm. looks me up and down and i'm like hot and blonde and big boobs and like stupid and didn't know it and he goes don't major in psychology you'll never do anything with it and i was like no fuck that shit like wow know. um and That's i wild. yeah and i had to walk down two flights of stairs the registrar and i was like psych major fuck it you know nice um, so it it um and then someone another professor liked me and laughed at the story and agreed that this guy was an asshole and got me <laughs> uh made me apply for a fellowship with the nih and so you know that's amazing smoother when you've got uh that's how i talked my way into you coming on i i i fed my um resume and i can make it sound badass i Mm -hmm. doubt the part that i'm one credit short of that postdoc see (laughs) well isn't that funny how like because i have a moment like that in college as well where you know i did two years of junior college which is where i played basketball as well but it's also the only two years where i gave as close to 100 percent of my effort school-wise that I've ever given. I had like a 393. I really cared. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I was, you know, I played professional poker at the time as well. So that was kind of my like little weird drug that I was doing on the side that was sober, but a drug. Right. But, but it took this one teacher, the head of the communication, Mr. Carroll, the head of the communications department at a RCC. And I walked in there and he goes, you know, you remind me of John Stewart. And this is in 03. This yeah. is in 03. 
and I'm politically inclined. I'm like giving speeches to some of my teammates because they're like, they're from really rundown areas of New York City, Brooklyn, Yonkers, like they come from really tough upbringings. And so they, I was tutoring them. We'd have these talks, philosophical talks. It was, it was unbelievable. And he was like, ah, oh, you're, you're really funny. You're politically inclined. Here's like 15 tapes on Jon Stewart. Just check these out. If you like it, cool. If not, whatever. And that was such an affirmation of who yeah. I am as a person that it sent me on a career path. <laughs> it did. Although you don't really talk a lot about political issues. Not at all. No, uh, but I, I touch on like social did, stuff. I think, but whatever. Yeah. It's the thing with me politically is that I have a low attention span and a high frustration threshold. Yeah. So it like, it, I can't get into the minutia of it because I just, I, I don't have an interest. I get too frustrated. I have my beliefs and my beliefs don't really, don't necessarily nail themselves to either party. I'm kind of more of the mushroom fella. Like I think we all- I loved that story. And I told, and I love that story. And <laughs> I love all drug humor. So I can respect that. Like, I it also changed my life, though. It, it made me empathize. Like, I grew up in a, in a rigid Irish Catholic judgmental household. And, because you know, as I grew, obviously, I matured and became open-minded. But psilocybin itself completely opened me up to the plight of other people and wow. to, you know, connecting with other people. And that's why, you know, my political beliefs are that I think we all should be crop dusted with a hallucinogen and then, yeah. you know, be forced into therapy for at least a month. And then we can rejoin and see where we're all at. I'm totally into that. Um, I uh, I had wanted to look through, I did mushrooms once and it was like senior year of college during some break or something. And um, I we went to uh, an amusement park and I of course oh, wow. my camera because I'm always taking my camera. <laughs> and like, there's this great picture of like a bunch of us standing over like this like dead stuffed animal. Like obviously it had broken or whatever. And like, everyone's like, some of them are legitimately upset and some of them are just like hamming it up for the camera. But, um, <laughs> but yes, maybe that should be my added to my like, if 2021 is as bad as 2020, I'm going to find, but I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know. I'll, I'll ask my patients for their drug dealers or something, but like, but that, well, you always have me as well, but that, good, yeah. that reminds me like, cause I, you know, like I said, I grew up in a, in a house where the only feeling you were really allowed to feel was anger. Yeah, and yeah. once you felt the anger, you were given a green light to say whatever you want. And then once it's over, nobody was allowed to talk about it again. The ah. thing that, the thing that mushrooms did for me was it, it made me feel my feelings. I mean, everything is so intense and in technicolor and just in your body and bones that you have to acknowledge it or else you'll, you know, go into a mental shock or something. Yeah, I don't think I did enough mushrooms then. I also oh, yeah. don't think I did enough ecstasy because like, <laughs> I, I, like I tried it twice and um, I don't know, one time I was trying to talk into like a group like sex thing and I didn't find any of them attractive. And I was like, I'm good. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, like, I think I literally was just like fat, ugly, awkward. Nope. I'm good. Thanks. Like, Oh, there's nothing worse than being the hot one in a group sex situation. Right. But I don't uh, like, I wasn't even like, Oh, I'm too hot for this. I was like, this seems like a lot of effort and I'm not, <laughs> you know, like, and it's not even, like, I guess now if I weren't married, I'd be like, this is going to be a good story someday. But yes. like, um, see, I was brought up in a family where we didn't talk about things. And mm -hmm. so um, for years, no one understood the behind the scenes. And by the time they did, I was like, I'm, I'm over this, dude. I can't do this again, you know? Um, <laughs> and so now I talk about it all the time on my podcast because, and anywhere else because, um, uh, well, every my dad knows I have a podcast, but every time mm -hmm. it comes up, he asks me if I've ever seen the show God Friended Me. Uh-huh. Uh, it's about a guy with a podcast who gets oh, okay. Facebook messages from God. And the only reason I know that is because my dad's told me 80 times. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I have like free reign to speak my... That's, it. That's interesting that we both kind of came to that conclusion because I also came in a non-communicative household and nobody shared their feelings, obviously. My mother has since made amends and at least apologized. My dad and I still don't really have a relationship, but we uh i think 
I'm the pendulum that swung the complete opposite way. So I'm an oversharer on every single level. Same. Like you said, you know, you asked me if anything was off limits. Of course not. I'll, I'll, I'll speak about anything. It really doesn't bother me. And I think my, my son hopefully will have a little bit more of a healthy <laughs> a healthy way to express himself and also know when to, you know, keep things to himself or who to who to share his feelings with because the one problem about being a stand up that tells the world everything is that I'm now giving the keys to my yeah. soul to psychos. So yeah. people that are that have your pain in their in mind, they want you to hurt, they now have access to do so. Right. I don't um Yeah, I don't know. I just don't feel I, there, there's like a protective barrier up now. Um, my 11 year old turning 12, by the way, we had a 20 minute argument during the pandemic three months ago about how old he was. Uh -huh. He insisted he was 12 because he did the math <laughs> and he was born in 2008. Uh -huh. And I was just like, this has been the most useless. I can't fucking, I, <laughs> like, I'm not sending them back to school because I'd rather have dumb kids than dead kids. Yes. Like, learn something like also I, dumb and happy is an underrated existence i agree yeah i can't wait till he gets old enough so i can smoke weed with him but my husband will never be able to find out about that yeah. um <laughs> yeah like my one of my favorite there's many but one of my favorite stories about my like uh, a few years ago my mother drove her jaguar into a liquor store oh, um sure. well florida um uh -huh. also uh <laughs> They're made of steel. This particular liquor store was a super shady, like, why are you open at 9 a.m. liquor store? Yes. Um, and it had steel doors. Um, and Jaguars make noise when you get close to objects. Like, I've driven this car before, um, carefully. Um, uh -huh. But, like, it starts beeping if you get within, like, 10 feet of something. So, like, I drove it into it and called wow. my dad. And my dad shows up. And my mom grabs her bottle of tequila and gets out of her car and goes into her dad's car and leaves. And so then when the cops come, she's left the scene of the crime and the cops recognize my dad. They're like, she's having a tough day, right? And he's like, yeah. And they're like, all right, just go take care of her. Wow. Well, that's called white wealthy privilege. Yes, um, and Florida. And Florida, <laughs> I mean, for fuck's sake. Like, uh, it sounds like so much better of a story than it is. Like, but like when my, my sister and I, Law and I, flew into town to have an intervention with her and he was stay and we were like looking at this and we're like there's like 12 feet in a curb you have to jump over <laughs> you know like oh my god yeah um, that's, well, that's an interesting that's way to appeal to people that don't get white privilege or understand exactly what you're talking about is i've heard so many of my dad and my dad's friends be like you don't understand how it was in the 70s you'd get pulled over you'd be shit-faced and the cop would be like all right i'll follow you home and i'm like Yes, he did do that to you. He would not have. It <laughs> yeah. 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 I was like, do you know how that goes in other stories? Like, yeah. you know, just, just think of that for a moment. It's not, it's not uniform. I know. My only issue with um, my only issue with, uh, with the last few months, Black Lives Matter is, is that, um, is the response that, don't worry, I'm not going to say all lives matter. I'm not. <laughs> um, is that as long as you said it, I didn't. <laughs> oh no, that's crap. That's crap. Like uh, that's fucking crap. Whatever. Um, is I like when when I've asked a question, like, well, why? Why? And the response is, it's not my job to educate you. Um, right. Yeah, that's. And then re and I understand that a little more now. Although recently, a friend of mine um, came out as non-binary and said, but no questions, no discussion no debate and so i texted mm. her privately and i was like can i just um the no questions but like no debate fine no discussion and she was like it's not my job to educate you google it yeah i'm sorry if the whole point of non-binary is like we're we're not placed into categories how does my googling it going to explain who you are like i was so right I don't, I obviously don't know your friend. I've had similar situations though. And it almost seems conflict seeking to me when people yeah. say that. So they're intentionally not educating you. So you can say something incorrect so they can then lash out. Fine. They, I'll say, I say incorrect shit all the time, but like, that's yeah. not how you gain support and understanding. No, not at all. It's, it's, it's a bizarre tactic that I understand the fatigue of educating people. I do too. But, then maybe send me a resource. Don't just say Google it because there's a lot of conflicting information out there and not everybody from even their group 
feels the same. So it's tough. To, I it's, think that was racist. Their group. But the, it was they, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> from there as in that person that's right. also the difficult thing that I have because a lot of it is incorrect English so it's like I every once in a while I'm going to assign a gender just because it flows in a sentence yes yes um uh also um this may be going a like we may be taking this a little far in that um uh my nine-year-old took an, an online acting class um oh, cool. I'm teaching psych classes online at uh, this out school platform, whatever they take thirty percent, I get seventy percent. Fine, I made five thousand nice. bucks this summer. Wow, talking to kids about things that I like. It is. You should teach them how to do stand up. You seriously should, as long as, as long as you go by Mike C or something. And <laughs> yeah, they can't look me up. Yeah, I once scored. Yeah. I once um. I once realized like we hadn't turned off the stove and that was the smell. And I jumped up in the middle of a 10 person class and said, shit, and ran out of the room. So, <laughs> um, but my nine-year-old went into a class and uh, it was like an acting class. And they started by asking everyone what their preferred pronouns were. Mm -hmm. And my daughter runs downstairs, interrupts me with pace, and She's like, what are my pronouns? I was like, what? <laughs> and like, you know, I, I was like, we're gonna have to talk about this later, but like, she's nine, dude. Like, let's not, yeah. you know, um, yeah, a lot of kids that have a heavy, heavy opinion on that are unfortunately influenced by their parents. And it seems like, you know, there's a lot of uh, mentally ill projection onto the youth that, uh, you know, it's I'm totally open to whatever any kid wants to be or whatever they feel is their is their authentic self. But when it is a very clear when they're parroting their parents talking points, that's when it becomes like a little frightening. Listen, our parents fucked us up. We're fucking up our kids. Right. Like yeah. my, my goal is to fuck mine up differently. Yes. Yeah. I, I used to have a joke that didn't make my special, uh, but it was about how I want to fuck my kid up to be at least interesting. You know, like my, I'm, I'm not trying, my parents clearly did a number on me considering I have unconditional love at home, yet I leave my house to seek approval from strangers. Valid but, point. Yeah. yeah. But I don't, so I don't want that necessarily for my kid, but I also don't want him to be a dull ass that has nothing to offer conversations. I agree a hundred percent. We're going to have to find the right way to fuck them up. Yeah. I know. Um, Mike, thank you so much. This was lots of fun. Um, and it was nice talking to you. And I'm so happy I have a drug contact now. Yeah, um, of course. Of course. Because um, that's what we all need. Um, <laughs> I know. It's funny. I don't want New York to legalize it because I know how dumb I was then. And I don't want to make it any easier <laughs> to get that, like, shit in my Like, we used to orbit. Like, drive in a circle while, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. Well, I'm not, see, I, th I think this might, the legalization of weed might actually bring New York out of its current economic hell. Because, you know, obviously tourism is down, all that stuff. But if there was a weed shop on every single corner and it allowed people to be a little more chill and uh, less frantic and less violent, that I don't see how that uh, doesn't benefit everybody. I think um, we don't want more people here now. Fair enough. Yeah. But other than that, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs>